Hello, this is the Landscape Ontario podcast. Today, we're featuring the audio from the May 5th edition of LO's COVID-19 Task Force Town Hall. The task force was joined by reps from WSIB, Workplace Safety and Prevention Services, and the Ministry of Labor to talk about safety practices. The Town Hall is also available on LO's YouTube channel. And while you're here, if you like our show, why not subscribe on your favorite podcast app, tell a friend or a colleague. And if you have an idea for a future episode, email me, Scott Barber, at sbarber at landscapeontario.com. But first, we hope you enjoy the show. The Landscape Ontario podcast is sponsored by Dynascape Software. LO members save 15% on Dynascape products, software upgrades, and online training. Visit dynascape.com for details. As our president, Dave Wright, said in one of our webinars, we need to become safety companies who happen to be in the landscape horticulture business. In this week's webinar, we continue our theme of safety. We have invited government experts from the Ministry of Labor, Workplace Safety and Insurance Board, and Workplace Safety and Prevention Services to provide guidance and share their safety expertise and perspectives. They were also given a number of your questions, which they have weaved into their presentations. You will have an opportunity to ask additional questions at the end. Each presenter will have approximately 15 minutes. So let's start by introducing our guests. Uh, Ron Landry is from the Ministry of Labor. He's having some, some technical issues and he will, he'll, hopefully he'll join us later. Uh, Kristen Hoffman is from WSPS. Many of you will, will know Kristen. Uh, Diana Ray and Melissa Brown are from WSIB and Alan White is the chair of our COVID task force. So um, we are gonna go now with, with Kristen Hoffman. We were gonna start with Ron, Ron Landry, uh, but uh, since he's having trouble, uh, hopefully he'll join us a little bit later. And so our uh, first presenter will be Kristen Hoffman. As a workplace safety and prevention services consultant, Kristen assists firms with the development and maintenance of effective health and safety programs. Kristen serves agriculture and landscape firms across Ontario. So without further introduction, Kristen, it's yours, the floor is yours. Thanks, Tony. Good morning, everyone. The first slide that you will see in a moment is the Ministry of Labor Training and Skills Development. I'm going to attempt a couple of efforts here. One will be to advance up to the start of the WSPS slide. Failing that, I will do my best to do the ministry content <laughs> justice until I hope Ron does join us. So give me just a moment. So there is not a fast and efficient way to advance. So I am going to attempt to scroll for just a moment. Thank you for your patience. You'll get a bit of a preview, spoilers for Ron's content when he does join us. And certainly we will go back to the start if he is not able to join us. Just a couple more and we will be at the WSPS slide where we are. Good morning, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the introduction, Tony. As Tony indicated, I am a consultant with Workplace Safety and Prevention Services, or WSPS. 
I hope and do recognize already many of the names coming up in the chat window. I hope that those throughout the Hamilton and Niagara region are able to join in the webinar. That is the area I spend most of my time. The few moments that I will take this morning will be to discuss some of the resources and support available to the landscape sector and beyond truly to support in your COVID-19 or pandemic return to business. Given the successful news yesterday that we are able to return in some capacity within the landscape sector. For those who are not familiar with WSPS, just briefly on this slide, we outline some of our mandate. A couple of points to note that we have been a partner with Landscape Ontario for years, long before uh, my career certainly, but at the beginning of my career, some of my first introductions were to representatives at LO as well as the membership. And we are a proud partner still, not only of the prevention system in Ontario, but LO in particular. Our mission and vision truly is to provide resources to employers to ensure that your workers and yourselves return home every single day, leading to our statement of every worker healthy and safe every day. COVID-19 and the pandemic is a hazard that does require management by employers, supervisors, and workers in workplaces. And to fulfill our mission and vision, our role has been to develop resources in alignment with the Ministry of Health, as well as the Ministry of Labor, Training and Skills Development, who I might condense to refer to as the ministry <laughs> as we go. Within the few moments, I will share with you a few thoughts on reviewing a process or steps for your return to business including that hazard management process to recognize, assess, control, and evaluate COVID-19 exposure, much like you would exposure to any other risks within your workplaces. We will discuss as well the guidance that has been prepared applicable for the landscape sector, resources that are available complementary to everyone through both the ministry and our website. Many of those resources you will have heard in the announcements by the Premier and provincial government over the last week or so. Those are considered to be best practices, but certainly will be high on the list of priorities for the ministry if they do visit workplaces that you become involved with. And finally, we will discuss some further resources and support available to you. Within the slides that I will present, there are a few links. There will be more included that you will receive following the session. The hazard management process or the process to follow as you prepare to return to business. And although you might have already yesterday, likely part of your day yesterday and the many weeks that have led up to yesterday, you have been doing just that, organizing your thoughts, your people and process to return healthy and safe to the work that we appreciate so much within the region. That hazard management process, again, is to recognize, assess, control, and evaluate. COVID-19 is creating unique challenges for businesses and individuals around the world. This process or the steps to prepare for return to business 
will ensure that employers effectively manage those hazards or exposures. Within our recognized step, important question to ask yourselves as employers and supervisors to recognize or consider how the people you have responsibilities over may come in contact with COVID-19 or exposure to the pandemic. That could certainly be the specific respiratory droplets that may be involved in transmission and could also be the mental health challenges that may result related to exposure within the pandemic. I think I saw good news join at the bottom of the slide. I'll continue along and we'll reverse for the ministry in just a few moments. Certainly landscape workers, supervisors and employers may have exposure to any of these particular types of hazards from the mental health challenges through to the virus or potential for exposure to COVID-19 in particular. Our assess step is going to ask employers and supervisors as well as workers to assess or consider your own health issues and the exposures that you might encounter within your work. Then consider the hierarchy from elimination of tasks all the way through to devices or personal protective equipment, PPE, that may be effective to control exposure to these hazards. The guidance documents as well as posters and other resources that have been prepared help you to do just that. Consider best practices and recommendations for controls. And that final step to evaluate is to ask questions and ensure that the controls we have put into place are indeed effectively reducing, if not eliminating, exposure to COVID-19 and the resultant challenges. As well, consider any new or other risks that might have occurred related to those new controls or other exposures that we might encounter within our work. Guidance resources that have been prepared for the landscape sector available from the ministry as well as our website. In general, workplaces, specifically employers, must take action to protect workers from exposure to the risks of COVID-19. In the workplaces, and we know that in is an unfair word, out in the workplaces where most of our landscape activities will occur. Of course, outlining these guidance recommendations are important, but do not remove the need for us to consider, research, and follow the most current recommendations from Ministry of Health and the local public health that applies to your work location of that day, week, or the coming month. As you do return to business, a few resources that have been prepared in general for all types of workplaces include pandemic response checklists. The three titles that I have listed on this slide here from return to business checklist and the following are available as complimentary downloads on our website. Not only for the landscape sector, but any business truly can consider the self-assessment tools determine if indeed you are ready to get back to what is now our new normal at work. More specifically, for our interest within the broader landscape sector, this is a snip of an example of the Workplace Safety and Prevention Services, WSPS, 
guidance on health and safety during COVID-19. The example of the SNP that I have on this slide here is for garden centers. This is one of many. Related to our landscape sector, the three that I have highlighted on the slide here may be some of the most valuable, but there will be other topics of importance. The three that I do have here, garden centers, lawn care, and transportation, specifically transportation of workers that I know is a burning question for many of our membership. Some of the general recommendations or best practices that do apply to the landscape sector in considering these guidance documents, apply them throughout your workplace. Those in the roles of employers, supervisors, and workers likely will have interests to review ask questions and understand the content of these guidance documents. These documents are intended to provide recommendations to recognize, assess, control, and evaluate hazards related to COVID-19 to prepare you to return to business. All of this is to be done in accordance with any orders made under the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. As an example for you, Garden Centers is a guidance document that has been prepared as you ready yourself to return to work. We do know that as of yesterday, the restrictions have eased for Garden Centers, but there are still restrictions in place. Important to note that although within our guidance document, there will be references to management of customers within the Garden Centers, that does not mean we are at a point to open our doors yet. Within the emergency orders that have been enacted, we note that at this point, garden centers still must restrict public access to those workplaces. And that may be by providing alternate methods of sale, such as curbside pickup or delivery of products. So once again, although within the guidance documents, there may seem to be best practices that have customers within our workplaces, Indeed, we will get there. We are just not there yet. Some of the other general recommendations that apply to our landscape sector through garden centers, lawn care, as well as transportation include the possibility to screen workers for health issues, active and passive screening, determine if there is an exposure with your own complement of workers before we do even set out into our workforce. Providing portable hand wash stations. That could be a station that we take along in the truck or trailer onto site. That could be eventually a station that is set up within a garden center workplace. Clean and sanitize surfaces often. Those surfaces that we do touch most often, we will increase the frequency versus those we might not. Some of those examples will be handles, steering wheels, gear shifts within our vehicles controls, steering wheels, seats on our mobile equipment, handles and tools that our workers are going to use throughout their tasks. If we can limit the number of workers that we have in one place or space at one time. Indeed, this is to accomplish the physical distancing expectations within the province. So if we can reduce the number of people, we thereby increase the amount of space between those people within one place at one time. Perhaps we could consider the schedules of our workers. 
for example, staggering breaks where we do have breaks available on a schedule, could we consider assorting those so that not as many people are congregating around the truck trailer or at the picnic table behind the greenhouse together? Managing the flow of customers once we do return to the point of public access to our garden centers. That could be very similar to what you likely have seen within our grocery stores already. It could be directional arrows on the floors. It could also be metering the number of people who enter into the workplace at one time. Perhaps even barriers between our customers and workers at the point of sale stations within our retail environments. Similar again to what you have likely seen within our grocery store environments. Accepting online payment can apply not only for our products within garden centers, but the services that lawn care and other landscape operations will provide. If we can reduce the contact between our customers and our workers, we might eliminate then that potential for transmission. So where we can offer contactless payment as a customer, as well as a supplier of a service. So if we are to order pickup and head out to a site with a load of topsoil, mulch or sod, can we do so in a contactless fashion rather than handing a pen, paper, check or otherwise to our supplier? And the reverse applies for us providing service as well. Where we are able, to continue to provide curbside pickup or delivery. So even once public access is allowable within our garden center spaces, there may be value and there is value if we can consider to offer some of these less contact services with our customers. Rescheduling any unnecessary visits or contacts between people within our workplaces, holding meetings outside, perhaps even assigning equipment, tools, and vehicles to workers so that we know who is handling or has exposure to all of those surfaces within our workplaces. Where we are able to provide appropriate devices, and that may include personal protective equipment for our workers. Consider the public health guidelines that are available. Follow those related to face masks, etc. what is the most current and reasonable information for your workers, as well as perhaps your customers in some of our retail locations. Some other resources and support available for you. The links that you see on the slide here will be hyperlinks within the presentation for you to access after the session, as well as a few others within our COVID-19 resources and support pages, a few of the examples of items that are available for you to download or contact WSPS for support. From the return to business checklists to the guidance documents just reviewed, as well as posters, PPE considerations. If you can't get your hands on the PPE you need, what do we need to consider then as employers? Some of that content is outlined for you within this FAQ. There are also training supports available for you, an example being the Landscape Ontario Safety Tailgate Talks, available from both LO and WSPS. And finally, on this slide, I will just highlight for you, we do have a duty consultant 
available by phone and email Monday to Friday from 7 a.m. through to 7 p.m. where you have questions as simple as you cannot find that guidance document on the website through to as specific perhaps as transportation expectations, we will do our best to receive and manage those questions with answers. Thank you for the opportunity and I will allow Ron to reverse or I can do so to the start of the presentation. Kristen, thank you very much. Uh, I know there, there are some burning questions on the chat line uh, and we will get to them uh, after the presentation. So please be patient, patience, patient, sorry. Uh, so we are gonna go back to Ron. I think we saw him come in. So uh, he's got uh, his technical issues dealt with. Uh, Ron, are you there? Maybe he hasn't. <laughs> I haven't seen his picture yet, Tony. Hopefully, if he's he knows about the webcam and the mic at the top of the slides back there. Okay. I will continue to reverse for a moment, and then I can go <laughs> forward again to Diana if we need to. <laughs> uh, let's give Ron just a second more. This uh, is the best part of live. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> this is fun. Um, Not previously recorded. Okay, so we're 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 still having technical difficulties with Ron. So so um, we're going to move forward. Oh, Diane, can you hear him? Uh, Are you there? I don't yeah. know what's going on. It's 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 breaking up and and keeps cutting out on me. Okay, so we can hear you. Can you hear me clearly now? Yeah, we can hear you clearly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I'll need you to advance the slides for me since I'm doing this on my okay. phone. Okay, so Kristen will advance the slides for you. I just wanted just to introduce you for a second. I guess we're good to go okay. then. <laughs> I will just interject to say, Ron, just give me the next slide and I'll do so with the right timing then. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so so uh, right. we're, we're glad to have here we go. We're glad to have Ron Landry here. Uh, so we can go to the next slide. Okay. Ron, can you hear me? Unless I'm frozen, it hasn't changed. I think I may be frozen again. Okay, this isn't. Uh, okay, hang on. Ron, it's Kristen. Can you hear Tony? All right, can you hear me? <laughs> I don't think That's he can hear me. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a problem on my end. I can't, I can't, I can barely hear. I, I hear like one of every 10 words. Okay. Hang on, let uh, me try something. You know, I, I'm so glad that Landscape Ontario is a family and we, we're understanding and we're patient. So thank you everyone for, for putting up with a little bit of the stuff. Uh, we can hear you, Ron. Oh, you may have to go to the next presenter again. Okay. So let's uh, let's go to, to Diana and then we'll we'll see we'll see what happens uh, with Ron. Okay, so our next two Don't presenters are from WSIB. Uh, Diana Ray is a stakeholder engagement lead at Workplace Safety and Insurance Board. And Melissa Brown joined the Operations Stakeholder Relations team in December 2019 as the manager of stakeholder, relation, stakeholder relations. And she's been with Workplace Safety and Insurance Board for 20 years. So we'll give them the floor. 
Okay. Diana, you're next. Excellent. <laughs> I'll wait till we get to my slides and then I'll kick it off. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tony. And uh, hello, everyone. It is wonderful to be here with you virtually by way of this webinar. Um, I know this is uh, the time of year when you conduct about 70% of your business at least. Um, so it's a great time to be reopening. Um, but we want to support you in doing that in a safe way. Um, and I think right now we can all agree that uh, employee and consumer confidence and the health and safety of your business, specifically limiting the spread of COVID-19 is of vital importance to keeping your operation running. So I wanna let you know that the WSIB's Health and Safety Excellence Program can actually help you meet those challenges. Uh, the COVID-related policies, procedures, and initiatives that you're implementing right now to follow those government guidelines uh, that, that Kristen went through um, are actually eligible for rebate on your WSIB premiums. Um, and you can actually receive other recognition as well, such as digital badges. So there's 36 topics in our Health and Safety Excellence Program that can really help you navigate through this COVID pandemic and build a more resilient, sustainable business. Um, however, there's five topics specific to addressing the priorities outlined in the government safety guidelines, particularly for your sector, um, that I want to highlight for you, because I think these are going to be the most pressing topics for you right now. Um, so the first one is control of hazards, and this is really going to help you uh, control the spread of uh, COVID-19 um, uh, through implementation of engineering controls, administrative controls, safe work practices such as hygiene and sanitation, um, and uh, personal protective equipment. So even things like implementing a curbside pickup model, um, ensuring distance between your employees, um, all of those things are considered controlling the hazard. So you can actually do those things, um, implement those guidelines and uh, complete a topic in our program. Uh, again, the topic is eligible for uh, a rebate on your premium and some other recognition. Risk assessment, uh, this is gonna help you assess uh, the health and safety risks in your business. Uh, resulting from COVID-19. So there's now new risks that you need to deal with. Um, and this is also going to include any new uh, or modified operations or work locations as a result of the pandemic. Uh, emergency prevention and preparedness. Now, some of you may have a plan in place, but uh, you may need to actually refresh that plan. And even if you've got a plan in place, you can do this topic, you can refresh the plan. Um, you can ensure that your organization is ready to continue to address the challenges of COVID-19 and is prepared for a second wave. And then emergency response. Um, and this is where you're gonna define a work plan to address COVID-19 and prevent further spread um, and resume your operations uh, safely. And then of course, workplace health promotion. Um, this is really supporting employees' mental health through the pandemic um, and beyond to build a more uh, resilient, sustainable uh, workforce. Um, Having that in place before something like this happens with, with supports available to your employees um, that could be feeling uh, isolated if they've been at home for a bit or even isolated when they return if there's, uh, you know, distancing measures in place. Um, really having those in place is important before these things happen, but it's not too late. Um, so this, this topic can really help you with that. So those are the five topics that I want to highlight for you as as key topics to consider working on right now. Again, you're gonna get the rebate with us. You're gonna get the support um, to implement these topics. 
I'm going to tell you in a nutshell quickly um, how the program works. This is normally a longer presentation. I'm happy to come back and do this in more in depth, but I'll just give you a quick overview of how the health and safety program works. Uh, so the program is a series of 36 building blocks uh, known as health and safety topics. Um, towards the development of a health and safety management system recognized by the chief prevention officer. Uh, employers join the program by enrolling with an approved provider. And I'm pleased to tell you that WSPS is one of our approved providers. So you can connect with them uh, to start your journey in this program. Uh, the providers do charge some, some minimal fees to cover the cost of their services, um, typically in the range of $500 to $1,200 a year. But um, this is really a fraction of the rebate that you're going to get back. Uh, once you join the program, your name is featured on our, our website, your business name as, as an employer that is invested in health and safety. Um, so you can show that to your customers, you can show that to your employees. Um, and you also get a link to our digital platform. So you go on the platform and you're going to complete a very short 20 minute assessment. And that's going to determine your health and safety level. Now, as you can see, there's three levels here, foundations, intermediate, advanced. Uh, so this assessment will tell you where you're at. Um, if you're a small business or a new business, you're probably going to be in level one. Um, if you've got a more mature management system in place, you're probably going to find yourself in level three. Then you're going to select one to five topics to work on for the year. Um, again, you might want to consider the ones that I highlighted for you. Um, but, you know, all the topics can help you right now. So, like, if you don't have a hazard recognition uh, program in place, you can do that topic. Um, if you don't have a return to work program in place, you can do that topic to help return any employees that have had COVID-19. Um, anyway, once you pick your topics, you're going to start implementing those with the support of your provider. And that's where you're going to get tools, you're going to get resources, you're going to get all sorts of help to implement those topics and really uh, adhere to those government guidelines that have come out um, and ensure that you're compliant with the, you know, the Ministry of Labor uh, training and skills development. Once you implement the topics, you'll um, over the digital platform, you're going to uh, send us some evidence of topic completion. We're going to validate that by desk. Um, and then uh, if, if complete, you're going to get a rebate from us. Uh, the rebate is per topic. And uh, large businesses can get up to 7% 7, 7 rebate on their premium. Small can get up to 10%. There is a floor of $1,000 per topic, up to 75% of premium. Um, now, I know that's a lot of numbers thrown at you. Again, WSPS can walk you through this in more detail. We can also follow up with you after this meeting. Um, but essentially, if, if you were, uh, you know, a, an employer paying $7,000 in premiums, by doing five topics in this program, you're going to get $5,000 back on your premium. So that pretty much almost eliminates your premiums for the year. And you're going to be doing the things you need to do anyways to address COVID-19. If you're, if you're a bigger employer, maybe you pay $200,000 in premiums you can get back up to $20,000. Uh, there's digital badges available when you complete levels. Those can be printed, uh, put on your wall, that you can put them on your website, on your business cards, on your, on your truck. Um, and there's also a voluntary uh, safety culture assessment that will help you track the changes to your workplace culture as you complete the topics. Um, and as you know, safety culture is really an indicator of how safe your employees feel coming to work. Um, so this is a great indicator of how your business is improving as you work through the program. Um, so again, that's the program in a nutshell. 
Um, before I pass things off to uh, Melissa Brown to talk a bit more about um, some of the other support available at the WSIB, um, I realized that I missed a slide where we have our email address. Um, so if you have any questions, you can contact us. Um, so I'm going to say that to you right now. We'll also send that out um, afterwards, I'm sure. Um, so the email address, if you have any questions, send us an email. Uh, feel free to include your phone number and we'll call you back. Um, it's health and safety excellence at wsib.on.ca. Again, that's health and safety excellence at wsib.on.ca. Uh, thank you so much for giving me uh, seven or eight minutes of your uh, captive attention. I now pass the mic over to Melissa Brown. That's where I have to remind myself to go off mute. So thanks so much, Diana. Um, I want to talk a bit more about uh, what happens if there's a claim. I know, you know, we've talked a lot about prevention and, and we're all working really hard to prevent this and stop the spread and do everything we can. But what if something does happen in your workplace and um, one of your employees does become ill with COVID-19? Um, there were a number of questions uh, submitted in the, the document. So I just want to try and address those. I don't have fancy slides, sorry. <laughs> um, so one of the things you'll find is on our website, uh, as soon as you log in, wsib.ca, there is a front page with all kinds of updates and FAQs about COVID-19 and they are handling of it. Um, if you go into that link and follow it to the bottom, you're going to see every week we will be updating the, the, the numbers for how many claims we have. So it just gives you an idea. So first and foremost, I, I'm just going to give you this week's numbers. Um, so we have currently 2,365 claims pending. We have allowed 287, we have denied 96, and we've also had 1,412 exposures reported. So just to give you some context, we know that there's um, been up to this point, and, and I think there will be a little bit yet, um, community exposure and possible workplace exposure. So, you know, you may be asking yourself, like, how do we know if it's work-related if someone becomes ill? And it's a really good question. Um, of course, it's a little easier to delineate if, if there have been other cases in your workplace and you can, you know, you do know that someone was exposed to someone who was confirmed to have uh, the virus. But in other cases, it may not be so easy, especially uh, in your business where you may have public facing people, people dealing with the public, uh, workspaces where uh, people from the public are coming in to purchase things. Um, you know, you don't know in all cases what they may have brought. Um, and, and you're doing your best, you're wearing masks, you're washing hands, but still. So what happens if, if the, the employee says that they feel like they got it at work, submit the claims, the form seven as you normally would. We have a whole team of occupational disease case managers that are handling these claims. Uh, we also have a, an entire team of dedicated nurse consultants handle, uh, supporting them. And what we're doing is making contact with every person who makes a claim to try and delineate um, where they, they contracted it. And the threshold is, and again, this document is on our website, so you can peruse it. Uh, you know, the two things we're looking for is one, they had a greater risk of being exposed or contracting the virus at work than they did in the public. So we may ask questions like, you know, do they take public transit? What, what is the, you know, uh, what exposure might they had to, have had at home or in the public themselves versus you know, what we know about uh, the risk at the workplace. And you as an employer will also have opportunity to speak to that, especially 
if you know someone that they've been in close contact with has been exposed, it's probably best to ensure that you do when you fill out the Form 7, give what information you do have about possible exposures or your thoughts. Um, so the second one is, of course, um, do they have the diagnosis? Uh, and, and we know that if someone has mild case, uh, they, they're not always being told to go get the actual test, but their symptoms are consistent. Um, so we'll be looking at, you know, was the incubate, incubation period for the possible exposure at work congruent with when they develop symptoms. So there's lots of questions we need to ask to determine that. And when I gave you the numbers just now, you did see that we've allowed some and we've denied some. So, you know, we're, we're looking to find where, there's, where the significant contribution of risk lies. Uh, we know, you know, it, we're not going to, in most cases, be able to 100% say it was here or here. So we have to look at the balance of probability and where the greatest risk is. Um, with respect to um, cost relief that is currently going on, I can tell you two things. One, premium payments have been deferred now to August 31st without penalty. So if you're not in a position to pay right now, you do not have to. Um, and the second thing is that the cost of COVID-19 claims will be born at the schedule level. We know there's two schedules for business. You're either schedule one or schedule two. If you're in schedule one, you are, so, are also in a class. So uh, the, the cost is not attributed to you as the specific employer. It's not contributed to the class that you're in. It's gonna be spread across the schedule. So what that looks like or how much that amounts to, how much it contributes to rates for 2021, I, I'm not in any position to at this point delineate. What I do understand is so far, uh, the rates for 2021 are scheduled to be released in the fall as they normally would be, but I would say stay tuned. This is where it's great to go to our website on a regular basis and look at what's new and upcoming and what information's there. We know <laughs> watching the news or uh, the daily news conferences, things change very rapidly. So, you know, we're trying to stay as nimble as we can to those changes and make sure that one, we're as responsive as we can to, to the claims coming in and making them the decisions quickly, uh, as well as, you, you know, making sure that from a financial perspective, uh, the premium payments and, and what you need to do to maintain your coverage is, um, is in, in keeping with what, what's happening to all of us financially right now. Um, if there's any, I'll leave it at that at this point. And then if there's any questions, of course, I can address them uh, in the Q&A. Wonderful. Thank, thank you, Diana and Melissa. Uh, we are going to try Ron one more time. Um, Ron, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Perfect. Right. I'll try not so, to move. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Kristen, we'll, we'll uh, uh, get your slide ready. All right. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think I should be able to advance them fine, so. Okay, perfect. Give it another whirl. So Ron, Ron, I will take just a moment to get there if you have any introduction remarks. <laughs> <laughs> so Ron, Ron Landry is from the Ministry of Labor. Uh, and so his remarks are, are going to be around uh, uh, compliance. Uh, and he has a lot of experience with, with, the, with the ministry. 
He's a provincial coordinator, industrial health and safety program. He has been with the ministry since 2004, and his previous roles with the ministry include regional industrial program manager, regional program coordinator, policy advisor, and provincial specialist. So you're okay, on, Raj. So I will, <laughs> I will get started once again. Um, let me just get forward here. Uh, so first off, so this resource does not replace the Occupational Health and Safety Act and its regulations and should not be used as or consider legal advice. Uh, health and safety inspectors apply the law based on the facts in the workplace at the time of the inspection. Uh, so it's a responsibility of workplace parties to ensure compliance with the legislation and this document does not constitute legal advice. So I'm going to go through a few things. Uh, I'm going to outline the risks associated with COVID-19 and how to reduce the spread in the workplace, and also to provide information about resources uh, which are available to assist workplace parties. So the uh, novel coronavirus uh, causes a respiratory infection that originated in Wuhan, China, and has expanded into Canada and many other countries around the world. The virus typically spreads through close contact with an infected person or touching an infected surface and then touching your mouth, nose, or eyes. <clears throat> so employers and workers need to consider how they can work safely and prevent the spread of COVID-19. So all measures taken to prevent the spread of COVID-19 should be done in compliance with the requirements under the Occupational Health and Safety Act, emergency orders made under the Emergency Management and, Ch and uh, Civil Protection Act, and public health directives and guidance issued by the Ontario Chief Medical Officer of Health and the Ministry of Health. So all these links are provided in the uh, presentation uh, for your reference. So some considerations uh, for screening to prevent uh, workers who may have COVID-19 from coming to the work. So symptoms include cough, fever, diff and difficulty breathing. So ensuring physical distancing, uh, two meter separation between workers where possible uh, consider changing the work layout, work schedule, or job rotation to allow distance at start and end of work and during lunch and, uh, and other breaks, uh, including meetings. Uh, consider limiting the number of entry points and using floor markings to show where people should move and how they should distance themselves. Provisions of hygiene supplies, uh, soap and water or hand sanitizer. It's important to recognize as well with the, uh, the uh, hygiene supplies um, hand sanitizers will only work if your hands are clean. So if your hands are soiled, uh, you have to wash with soap and water first and then uh, hand sanitizer. Otherwise, your hand sanitizer is not going to work on dirty hands. Uh, cleaning and disinfecting of high-touch surfaces, shared tools, uh, controls, handrails, doors, lunch tables as examples, and other precautions, including the use of personal protective equipment, which, as you know, in the hierarchy, you have controls, putting personal protective equipment on a worker is the last line of defense. On two meters separation, uh, where possible, workers are encouraged to keep two meters apart. In circumstances where two meters cannot be maintained, the employer must protect the worker from the hazard. So control measures including robust screening, hand hygiene, cough, sneeze, etiquette, and frequent cleaning of high-touch surfaces are even more important. In the hierarchy of controls, the last line of defense is personal protective equipment. So if workers are required to, person, uh, to wear PPE, workers must be trained in its use, including proper removal, disposal, care use, and limitations. 
Employers have obligations under the Occupational Health and Safety Act and its regulations to protect workers from hazards in the workplace, including infectious diseases. Under the Act, employers must ensure that workers know about hazards and dangers by providing information, instruction, and supervision on how to work safely. Must ensure supervisors know what is required to protect workers' health and safety on the job. Must create workplace health and safety policies and procedures. Ensure everyone follows the law and the workplace health and safety policies and procedures. Ensure that workers wear and use the right protective equipment and do everything reasonable in the circumstance to protect the workers. So the Occupational Health and Safety Act uh, gives rights to workers. The three most important is the right to know about hazards in their work and get information, supervision, and instruction to protect their health and safety on the job. The right to participate in identifying and solving workplace health and safety problems, either through a health and safety representative or a worker member of a joint health and safety committee. And the right to refuse work that they believe is dangerous to the health and safety or that of any other worker in the workplace. Workers should raise any concerns to the supervisor, joint health and safety committee, or health and safety representative. Of course, the workers have responsibilities as well, including uh, reporting any hazards in the workplace, working safely and following safe work practices, using the required personal protective equipment, and participating in health and safety programs established for the workplace. So in determining what's reasonable precautions for the protection of workers during the pandemic, employers should follow the guidance provided by Public Health Ontario and the Ministry of Health. This includes encouraging workers to wash hands often with soap and water or alcohol-based hand sanitizer, sneeze and cough into a sleeve. Uh, if a tissue is used, discard immediately and wash hands afterwards. Avoid touching eyes, nose and mouth. Avoid contact with people who are sick. Avoid high-touch high areas where possible or ensure hands are cleaned afterwards. And where possible, wear gloves when interacting with high-touch areas. So again, not touching your hands or your face and with your gloved hands and ensuring that everything, you're washing your hands immediately uh, when you're degloving or doffing your PPE. So what do you do if a worker tests positive? So in the Occupational Health and Safety Act, uh, 52 sub 2, if employers advise that a worker has an occupational illness due to an exposure at the workplace or that a claim has been filed with the Workplace Safety Insurance Board, the employer is required to notify the ministry in writing within four days. And if you have any questions or would like to report a critical injury, fatality, or report an occupational illness, please call our contact center. So applicable legislation and regulations, uh, so we've included the majority of them here. So inspectors continue to enforce the Act and its regulations, including, but limit, not limited to, the Occupational Health and Safety Act, Industrial Establishments Reg, and the Construction Projects Regulation. Inspectors also have the authority to enforce emergency orders made under the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. So we also have a, a number of printable posters available on self-isolation, self-monitoring, cleaning and disinfecting, and Public, Ontario's, uh, Public Health Ontario's how to, how to Hand Wash poster. Other online resources uh, can refer to the Ministry's Guide to the Occupational Health and Safety Act to understand their health and safety rights and responsibilities. I also wish to contact one of the health and safety partners for assistance. And again, those links are provided in the presentation. 
Ministry of Health produced the following guidance documents available through this link. And also checking the Ministry of Health COVID-19 web website regularly for updates, frequently asked questions, and other information related to COVID-19. It's always important to continue to go checking that website because, you know, it's always a point in time reference and, you know, what is best method or most appropriate today uh, may not be the case a week from now. So it's important to stay on top of that resource. And I think that's it. Ron, thank you very much. So I want to thank uh, Ron, Kristen, Diana, and Melissa for uh, lots of information, lots to think about. And there's also um, links. Everyone will, will be receiving this PowerPoint with, with live links, so, so you can uh, uh, look at it in more detail later. Uh, so let's go to questions. And um, so the, the burning question that, that we, we uh, hear uh, over and over and over again is about transporting workers to work sites. And um, so I think that's probably Kristen's question. Um, so is it, <laughs> tell us the guidelines specifically. So are two people allowed in a truck to go to a, 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 to a site or two or more? Are they allowed in a truck? And, and, and uh, under, under what conditions would they be allowed if so? I will begin to answer, and as long as Ron does stay in the room with us, I, I'm sure we would appreciate his perspective as well. So physical distance is the question for us to consider to start that answer. Can we maintain physical distance within the truck? And within the chat, I have seen a number of circumstances or situations. If it is a crew cab versus a regular cab, we can distance out people perhaps quite effectively. If we can achieve that separation, that is ideal. If we cannot achieve that two meters or six feet of separation within the vehicle, we work our way through that hierarchy of controls then. We still need to reduce, if not eliminate, that potential for transmission within the truck. So that may look then like only two people within the truck if it is a single bench, one person in the driver's seat, one person in the window passenger seat, no one in the center. And with those two people in the truck, as we work our way through the reasonable controls, we might consider what barriers or separation could be reasonable between the two on that one bench. We have seen some examples of plexiglass being used, other examples even of cardboard being used. And that's where perhaps Ron's perspective might be best. Uh, there's also some challenge, of course, when we do make modification to vehicles. Are we compromising the integrity or structure of the truck itself? So if we are not able to implement barriers, we may then consider personal protective equipment. Dare I use that reference? It's really not meant to be PPE. It could be a face mask or covering though on those passengers in the truck so that it protects the others in the truck. The challenge in communication around masks or face coverings, really it is not PPE for the person donning those face coverings. It is for the others who might be in that cab. So consider the hierarchy of controls. If we have to have more than one person in a vehicle, how can we implement separation? If not separation, we may work ourselves down to masks or face coverings. If there is the potential to only have one person 
in a vehicle. That, of course, would be ideal. So multiple trips, multiple trucks that are heading out to site. Reasonable is the point to consider, and so too would an inspector if they were asked the question uh, or arrived on site for inspection. If we have Ron, okay. it would be valuable. Yes, okay. If Ron's, if there Ron's there, Tony, that'd be. Okay, is Ron still there? Me? Yeah, we can hear you. Hello? Yep. Okay, I'm not this. My audio ends breaking up completely, but anyways, um, yeah. So I would echo those same, uh, you know, those same precautions. That, you know, you have to consider the hierarchy of controls. And again, the last defense is as far as putting a personal protective equipment on the on the worker. Um, but if all else just fails, then then that's where you're at. Um, important to note that the um, you know, a lot of the non-medical face coverings. So, for example, if a person's wearing a bandana or something of that nature, or a cloth uh, mask that they've, you know, Googled and figured out how to make for themselves, um, that's essentially what that is, is, is source control. So it's, it's not, we wouldn't consider that to be personal protective equipment. It's source control at the worker level. Um, so essentially it's, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's the equivalent of coughing into your sleeve, only you've, you've got the sleeve built in now. Um, so it's, it's basically containing anything that you may have uh, from going to the other person. But yeah, the hierarchy of controls is, is what the inspector would be looking for. Um, you can't just go to PPE. You need to try everything else uh, practicable before putting the personal protective equipment on the worker. So Tony, so, could, could I ask of Ron and uh, Kristen, then looking at the hierarchy based from Ministry of Labor standpoint, the preference would be then to, if you're starting at the top and working to the bottom, then separation in a confined space like a vehicle would be the preferred method. But as you mentioned, Kristen, there's the other issues around modifying the interior of a truck from airbags, confined space, ventilation systems, which from a Ministry of Labor, is it better to go to source by covering up the employees as an employer to protect them from each other versus trying to modify the interior of a vehicle? So it's, it's all going to be dependent on the particular circumstance and the inspector will evaluate it at the time of the visit. So we can't, uh, you know, I can't direct you one way or another. Uh, is, is anybody providing the inspectors or enforcement with uh, guidelines as well? Like how does, how does that work? So, so yesterday I received an information that uh, the police stopped uh, some, some companies uh, and they asked them, how did they get to work? Uh, and so, so uh, like, are there guidelines that, 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 that enforcement have? Like, uh, if there were two people in the truck, would that be okay if they had a mask? Like, I understand the, the, uh, the risk assessment that you're, you're giving us. I understand that. But, but mm -hmm. can we make it more concrete? So if there were two people in the truck and they had, let's say, a tarp divider, a clear tarp divider, and they had uh, face masks on, would that be okay? Um, on a surface with limited information, I would say that would be okay. Okay. Because you gotta, you gotta, you know, at the end of the day, are the workers protected? Right. right. I was, it's, it's a new, it's a new realm where the source protection, so PPE, as you've all correctly identified, is typically the way we would try to protect our employees. This is a very different situation where we're trying to change the environment um, mm -hmm. and, and minimize the amount of spread between individuals in our workforce or teams. Um, 
how is the minister or do you have previous experience with other situations where the source protection um, responsibility of an employer uh, can be used as an example? Mm, we really haven't had anything of this nature since SARS, so it's uh, it's uh, it's hard to say really. Like it almost feels like we should, as employers, be working at the problem from both directions. So both from a uh, employee's protection, but also from a source where we work with teams, um, so that we're minimizing it from both directions, obviously, um, to, to to reduce the exposure to to the employee and to instill public confidence. Uh, our employee confidence as well. It's, it's, it's very visual, obviously lots of anxiety and stress around all the, there's more unknowns it seems than there are knowns. So the more we approach them with uh, kind of prescriptive parameters, I think the more it helps alleviate tension. Yeah, like you'll see a lot of, uh, especially in the retail side of things like Costco and now Longos have gone to universal masking, masking even of their customers. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think even just from a, a, a you know, especially if you if you're in a situation where you're interacting with the public, um, it, it may be more beneficial to go to universal masking just from a, you know, you're out there in the public and, and it may be make work easier, uh, less pushback from the public. Um, mm -hmm. But we are not enforcing universal masking at this point. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Uh, um, so let's go to. Uh... Uh, Alan, do you have another question? Yeah, it's not, it's not related to transportation as much, so I'll, I'll keep an eye on the chat to see if more come up. There's a lot around sickness protocol um, in the chat line here, both, and maybe we can go through it systematically and then see if any questions still exist, but really as it relates around the, the leave, so if an employee actually comes up down with the symptoms, one, how we deal with that employee, because we're finding it real hard in the workplace to get actual testing to understand are these symptoms um, consistent with COVID, and then there's the other piece of it, other workers. So within that environment or bubble, if they're working in a team or in an office environment, uh, the anxiety that exists with all the other employees that they've come in contact with in the last 14 days, um, as well as there's some, there's some questions around how do we return them to work? And then I'm gonna go into, if we can, Tony, maybe a little bit um, WSIB versus CERB versus all the other mechanisms on the backside, or if a team goes off because an individual gets sick um, how does that affect, how does that work with WSIB? So like maybe we start um, with uh, me, Melissa or Diane, you had a lot of detail from the leave component, someone develops their first symptom to what goes through the process, what impacts does that have on the rest of the people they've come in contact with for the previous day or two? I'll, I'll just jump in. I mean, right now the guidelines are, we're using public health guidelines, which is you know, if they, if someone's developing the symptoms and they've come in contact with other people, even if those other people don't have symptoms, I believe the best advice is for them to all self-quarantine uh, for 14 days. Now, during that quarantine period, that's not a claim um, because they don't have, until they have symptoms. So remember when I gave the stats, I said we, we have 1,400, uh, just over 1,400 reported exposure. So we have our PIER, um, inc so incident exposure, and CIER, which is construction incident exposure process, whereby an employer can log an exposure with us on our website. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. It's not for me. <laughs> um, and it's um, once that exposure is logged, 
you get an incident number so that if that person that's been in quarantine a week from the day they quarantined, they develop symptoms, you can go back into that exposure, provide the additional detail, and it's elevated to a, a claim. So it, it does uh, sort of uh, make it easier if, if you do have a group of people that you know, are potentially exposed that you log the exposure. And then if they do become claiming, you can go back and um, with that incident number and complete that to make it a, a an actual claim. Um, do, does that make sense? So yeah, you know, for, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of an employer and think, you know, you well, have one person that demonstrates some symptoms, they, they have to go home, obviously. And then you look at, you know, who was exposed to them, and then they have to go home. So you know, does, what does that do to your workforce at a given moment, right? Well, that's a, maybe put in practical terms, some of the scenarios that we, we've experienced in our own business where uh, an employee will come in contact with, say, all of the people that called in with symptoms in the last three weeks, um, it really ranged from headache to nauseous. None of them have been able to get tested for COVID, so we don't know if it's COVID or not they're in isolation now fortunately because before we were in shutdown so the employee employee interaction wasn't as great but most of them have no idea where they got it from we get a phone call at six in the morning says i don't feel good today i'm not coming in so we tell them to go seek medical advice and report back to us but we all know this has the 14-day incubation period most of these people relate the potential for where they think they might have got sick from visiting a girlfriend uh, or going to a a grocery store three days earlier even some employees get at nervous because they heard a walmart had uh nine infections and they went been to walmart last week so these are the mm -hmm. real life scenarios and we can't afford especially in small businesses makes up the majority of it it would be catastrophic to all of a sudden have my entire office team off because one person might have it and nobody can get tested and then 14 days um, especially if that's not what they had, if they feel better two days later, they still offer 14 days along with everybody came in contact with. So obviously real world scenarios and then who's paying, supporting them through all this. So I will address the, the scenario with respect to the person uh, having a number of people off. I, I think that's not a question for WSIB really. I think that's more of a public health question. You know, if you have someone and they think they have the symptoms, I mean, the guidance that we're getting or that mm -hmm. I feel we're getting from public health is stay home and contact trace and find, you know, they do that through public health as well. It's yeah. not really incumbent on us, you know, to ensure that those people self-isolate because the best thing we can do is keep it out of the community because then we're not having this. We don't have this risk at some point in the hopefully near future, you know, where we're worried about all of our daily interactions. Yeah. Um, and the more we open up, the more there's possibility for interactions right that happen both in the workplace and outside and it is a difficult job for our adjudicators to try and delineate that and that's where they're going through those discussions to assess where the risk lies to determine if that's a claim or not the best guidance I can say is if you're as an employer going do I file a form 7 or not have a conversation with employee try and find out where they think they got it if they're saying oh you know what it, I think it was at the grocery store or my boyfriend or whatever else you know, I would just confirm, okay, then I won't be filing this as a claim. I believe you still have the op obligation to report that to the, the ministry as an exposure, as an occupational disease. Um, but if they're saying, I think I got it at work, um, then put, give us the information, give us what you know, and we'll, for, we'll figure it out. We'll assess what that risk is. 
Um, with respect to your other question, which is uh, loss of earnings benefits versus CERB or any other entitlements they may have to programs that have been introduced by the federal or provincial governments. Um, if, if they're making a claim through us, they feel it's work-related, especially as an employer, if you think, yeah, probably, you know, maybe you've had some other things. Um, I can't exactly say how long it's taking to adjudicate these claims. I gave you the numbers today. We have over 2,300 pending. What I can tell you is we are having ongoing conversations on that team when the claims come in, but it does take some time to figure out where some of those risks may have lied in the last, you know, zero to 14 days in that person's life to try and adjudicate that. And these claims, having over 2000 pending sounds like a lot, but they've all come in at a very, uh, in a very short period of time. So it does take us some time to go through them. I, I don't have an estimate on um, how long, unfortunately. Um, a person can apply for any other benefit as they see fit, uh, especially because while they're quarantined, if they're not working, but they don't have symptoms, they don't have a claim. So they have to, you know, determine whether that's the, you know, you're as the employer able to continue their wage. Do they apply for CERB? That, that's a question to ask. Now, you may say, what if they got CERB and then you allowed the claim in paid LOE, um, loss of earnings benefits? That's something they will report on their taxes down the line and it, it will be up to really the provider of the CERB benefit, how they will hash that out because we at WSIB are known as what's called first payer. So we're always the first to pay and everybody sort of adjusts around us. Um, and I don't know, being frank, what questions they ask during the application to ask if they've made an application for WSIB or not, and if that has any bearing on uh, the benefit they get, but that would have to be sorted out down the road mm -hmm. if they got it and then LOE was offered because we're going to pay the LOE. So my other question was a bit, it relates a bit to both uh, yourself, Kristen, with WSPS and WSIB, because typically WSIB is a return, is a quick return to work policy. Um, that's what our whole goal is to get people off claim back to work. But in the case of this scenario, that's not indeed the course of action. So consideration within your organization um, of how we manage that. And then to follow up with Kristen is to what should return to work protocols look like? Um, both in the case of diagnosed, but the majority, I would say, of these is their systems obviously taxed, and we're already experiencing it. Most aren't actually tested um, for their symptoms. So it's just dealing with that process. When do we know to bring them back to work safely um, and reintegrate them into the workforce? Do you want me to? If you want to start. We're using public health guidelines, so two negative tests or 14 days uh, if it was mild and they've they're, they've gone the 14 days and they have no further symptoms because I do agree with you. Testing has been a bit of an issue. Um, whether, you know, I can't resolve the issue, um, but that's what the public health guidelines are. So that's what we, so you, I agree with you. Normally we'd be thinking, you know, oh, they've been diagnosed. They've had an injury at work. When's the return to work the next day? This is going to, you know, manifest uh, probably a couple of weeks of LOE, hopefully not more. Um, and that, I think, is why the costs are elevated to the schedule level, because we don't want this to bear on each employer when, it, when it's so out of all of our control. Yeah. Lots of I questions. I might just add to that. 
that as well. I might just add to that as well in the consideration of return to work or accommodation, consider what tasks you might otherwise provide an employee who could not be on site for a different type of resultant incident. Uh, so is there administration, office, marketing type of tasks that that worker could perform remotely from home or at a location that is safe and secure? Uh, Kristen, do you have it around, uh, we, some are using the term called bubbling, where we intentionally keep uh, workforces together so that they're not mingling, whether uh, I think Ron mentioned staggered start times and other things. Um, but do you have any guidance to our membership of, of what good protocols would be to minimize if one person gets sick, that it doesn't actually spread to a greater group, uh, particularly if they're all going into 14 day isolation? Sure. Those thoughts you have just shared are likely the most reasonable that I would echo. If we can limit the number of people that we have in one space at one time, then of those people, much like the suggestion to assign equipment, tools and vehicles, if we can assign a group of workers so we have a reduced number of interactions and then we might assign one individual or a different group if there has to be any contact with delivery by suppliers, customers, etc. Um, so that we can filter quite quick and efficient who has had some of that additional exposure beyond our own crew on our site. So again, it does sound a whole lot like that hierarchy of controls that we apply once more. Can we eliminate that potential interaction? Likely not. How can we reduce the number then? And that might be through bubbling. I've been practicing that for years. <laughs> Tony, you've been following the chat. Uh, other yeah. thoughts and questions? Yeah, so, so um, we're, we normally go an hour. I'm gonna just let this go uh, and, and if, as long as everyone's okay, because uh, there are a number of questions. Some of them have been answered already, but I think it, 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 they, they bear repeating uh, answers just in case. Um, so let's just go through. Uh, can, 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 should we be taking employees' temperatures? So who can answer that? Yeah, how far can we go with managing and getting into the health piece of it, both before and on returning, um, short of just asking for doctor's notes? What are our limitations? I will begin, and if there are other perspectives, certainly, please do. Uh, there are, and I know in, in the chat and otherwise, there, there is some dislike or distaste with the word guidance rather than hard and fast rules. This is going to be another set of guidance. It really does come back to the hazard management. Every workplace and site is going to be different. The hard and fast rule likely would not be well received either, but related to screening in particular, um, Public Health through Ministry of Health website have prepared recommendations for both what is described as passive screening, which could be examples of signage or news items that we email to our workers that essentially say self-monitor, if you do not feel well, report that to us and we will then manage. The other is active, where we do integrate practices like temperature. It could also be questionnaire that workers might go through. Uh, either or are considered recommendations by Ministry of Health and Public Health Ontario. So my interpretation then of what is reasonable or guidance would be that is reasonable. And the frequency or the 
point at which we might implement that screening will be to the discretion of the employer. Is it every day at the start of shift, multiple times throughout the day? Is it once we receive notice that there could be a symptom or a potential exposure to a person with a symptom? But to, I hope, answer that question as direct as possible, there is guidance with recommendations to screen employees inclusive of temperature. Right. So, so uh, it looks like the, the prescriptive answers that, that uh, everyone wants, are, uh, you're not going to get. Is there don't? That's great. But, but, but what, what you are going to get, is, I mean, is guidance. What, what you, I, the way I'm interpreting this is that you really do need to think about all this thing, all these issues, uh, and decide between your, your employees and you what kinds of risks uh, you're, you're able to take based on the hierarchy of risks. And then you have to be able to be, be uh, clear about that if you get stopped uh, in terms of enforcement. Maybe so, Tony, if Ron's still there, I, I see him in the corner of my screen. What are the don'ts as it relates to an em employer's ability to, to manage health? Um, there's probably some unemployment status, some clear things that we can't do. Um, or dive into from an employer-employee relationship or share with other team members? Because a lot of certainly once one person goes off, a lot of people are asking about what happened to the other employee. What can we do and what can we not do um, under employment standards? So the uh, for the Ministry of Labor, I'm obviously on the health and safety side, but I can tell you what our experience has been so far with the pandemic. Um, so temperature checks have, have obviously come up as part of the employer's uh, screening. Um, we would never, we can't order an employer to take workers' temperatures, uh, but we would ask for questions. You know, we would ask them, what, what are your screening of, of uh, workers or, or public, and, and, and what are you doing to protect workers in the workplace, which may include taking temperatures. Um, the majority of uh, folks that uh, have been taking temperatures without pushback have been using the scanners, you know, the handheld scanners where you can maintain distance. You're not actually getting into the person's personal space to check their temperature. Um, when you go beyond that, as far as taking temperatures, uh, then you're in a personal space and perhaps some human rights concerns or privacy concerns, which are, again, are kind of beyond my purview of the act and its regulations, um, but there may be some concerns in that regard. Um, the other part of notifying workers is just, you know, if you do have someone that tests positive in the workplace, um, be it a customer or, or a, one of your workforce, um, you do have a duty to inform your workers of that person testing positive, uh, being mindful of that person's privacy. So you can't identify the individual. But for example, if a worker on line A uh, tested positive, then you would inform workers that, you know, somebody on line A tested positive. Um, the other piece was with the new legislation, I think uh, the Premier, uh, right at the very beginning of this pandemic, uh, brought back in the no requirement for doctor's notes or employer to ask for doctor's notes in order to take leave, emergency leave for COVID-19. Um, what, are, again, are we able to do and not able to do as employers on the return to work to ensure uh, that that employee is fit for work when they return? Anyway, uh, is breaking up again, unfortunately, but something about doctors and legislation, unfortunately, I, I can't comment on that. That'd be okay. others to comment on that. Is anybody, anybody else that can answer that? 
No. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go to, to yeah, some other questions. I'm losing my audio again. Sorry, folks. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, are there mandatory workplace posters that need to be up? Can anybody answer that one? Within the scope of. Uh, again, oh. I think I heard about. Oh, oh go ahead. <laughs> Within the scope of COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. recommended posters, certainly not beyond what would have already been legislated either through the Occupational Health and Safety Act, the green, yellow and white poster, uh, or the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act, the, now it's changed colors, but the blue, green and white poster, um, but not specifically related to COVID-19. Once again, though, I would reflect back on that general duty Take every precaution reasonable in your circumstances. Passive screening or passive communication strategies like posters may be reasonable. Hand washing, as an example, tack it up in the truck right beside your one, two, three, four, or the new version of the poster that you have already. Okay. Uh, Christine McFadden asks if uh, uh, it's cardboard screens or maybe other tarp screens. Are there any insurance issues? with that. Can anybody answer that? It has to do with modifying of the vehicle space, Tony, from sight lines, from uh, impact on airbags to um, to how it would behave in a, in a crash situation, I think, were the previous concerns from insurers or others, unless it right. was department transport approved. Yeah, okay. Agreed. Regardless of material type, those become the, the concerns then. Uh, Ron, do you have any from Ministry of Labor if, if that became a concern on an uh, inspection sight lines and uh, are you looking for DOT approval when we modify a vehicle? We might have lost Ron. I think so. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm looking the other one I saw a couple, Tony, was the requirement. So if an employee tests positive, uh, it is our responsibility to notify other employees. Is there a responsibility for us to quarantine those employees that came in contact um, with an employee that hasn't necessarily tested positive but is symptomatic? So who's answering that? I will begin. <laughs> uh, my best suggestion would be, again, the public health guidance is self-monitoring and within that self-monitoring, if any of those others who might have had that potential exposure do recognize signs or symptoms. Um, an even better control, of course, would be that at that, at that point of communication that you have been exposed, that you do isolate. Again, not a hard and fast rule to my understanding. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it, it would be the ideal, if not reasonable, though, certainly encouraging that self-monitoring throughout that 14-day or ever period. Okay. Anyway, I think, uh, I think most of the questions have been uh, answered. And uh, uh, we will um, you know, look at, at the chat line in, in detail and, and uh, uh, look at, at providing better answers as we go through and as, as we understand what, what's happening on the ground. So I think it's time to, to, to go now. Uh, so although this is a, a time for celebration and hope for the future, it is important to remember that at the end of the day, the economy has been shut, largely shut down to stop the spread of a deadly virus. Public health and workplace safety will remain the top priority of the government 
and of our profession. I'd like to, to uh, thank the Landscape Ontario COVID Task Force, Alan White, Jeff Olson, Peter Ganane, Dave Wright, Jamie Riddell, John Dersey, Mark Byers, Terry Childs, and Lindsay Ross. These individuals have gone far beyond the call of duty. They are all volunteers. They all stepped up. Uh, and even though they have the same challenges that, that, that you have, uh, they, they stepped up to try and help everyone. So, so I just want to recognize them. I'd also like to thank our staff at Landscape Ontario, CNLA, and Canada Blooms. They too have stepped up. And thank you, Ron, Kristen, Diana, Melissa, and Al. Uh, it's time for our profession to shine and show the public that we are in the business of enhancing lives. Thank you, everyone. Thank Talk you very much. Thanks for listening to the Landscape Ontario podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes every month. And if you have an idea for the show, please email me at scott at landscapeontario.com. Thanks for listening.